0: Friends, it's so good to see so many of you here. Welcome back to Rack Evangelical Church this morning. My my name is Douglas and it's one of my great pleasures to be one of the pastors here uh, on staff. And this week we're going to be continuing uh, our study in the book of Joshua. So please turn to the end of chapter 5 in your Bibles if you have one. Uh, We left last week with the people entering uh, the land and receiving The covenant sign that they were God's people through pausing for circumcision. Then they celebrated the Passover, God's deliverance and redemption that he had provided for them and throughout the entire episode we see God's hand. He is the one that's in control. We know that his timing is perfect and that he is guarding and guiding his people. As we now this morning turn to one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament and we see the walls of Jericho come tumbling down we again are going to see that without God there is no hope. It was he that delivered Jericho into the hands of the Israelites. Again he speaks. Again his chosen man leads the people in obedience. And again we'll see That it is God alone who has made a way. As we look at our verses uh, together this morning in chapter 5 and all of chapter 6, the main point for our time is our confidence in God should lead to our obedience to his word and our devotion to his praise. Our confidence in God should lead to our obedience to his word. And our devotion to his praise. I think the text just again nicely divides into three different sections. And so I do have three points for our time together. The first point is God's presence. God's presence. And that is the end of chapter 5 verses 13 to 15. So having just circumcised every man. And after some I think deserved days of rest. We now see Joshua out early in the morning, somewhere close to Jericho at the end of chapter 5. If you ever thought you needed a day off, speak to Joshua. The text says, by Jericho, and so we're able to think that he was, he was right next to it, possibly walking around Jericho, perhaps in the fields next to it, confidently And boldly surveying what was next. Perhaps he was wondering what the the coming days held. But either way I think that we see he is in prayer. I'm suggesting that this as we meet Joshua. This is we're seeing him in his morning devotional time. Such as his confidence in the Lord that he's doing this right next to Jericho. I say that he's praying because. We're told that a strange thing happens. That he, the verse says, lifted up his eyes. Now, One of our interns interrupted me last week as I was reading. Had my uh, back to the door and my, uh, my book in front of me. My headphones were in. And as I slowly turned around, he was just standing there. I don't even know how long he'd been there it was terrifying thankfully he did he did not have a sword drawn but it did startle me and I may have yelped just a little bit but with Joshua here before battle and before all that lies ahead he's in prayer and he's seeking God's help when this man appears he doesn't seem to flinch he doesn't need help he's not even scared He definitely doesn't yelp I think you'll notice a couple of things He sees a man The man is just standing there Clearly looking like a soldier And he has his his sword drawn I think he's just standing Something like this With his sword ready This is a man ready for war But wait What did Joshua do? You see He walks towards him. As the the man of courage that God had called him to be in chapter 1, Joshua confidently walks straight up to this man. Not only that, but he approaches the man and basically says, Who are you? Who are you? Joshua is not exactly sure what is happening, but we see that he is just pumped. He is ready for battle and to question anyone that comes before him. I don't think he knows who this is straight away, but he is more than happy to find out. From the beginning, we see that Joshua is just going about his business and being faithful in what he has been asked to do. He hasn't put a foot wrong. And here we see his confidence, and I don't think it's in himself. Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? comes the question from Joshua if you look there in verse 14 I think on on face value this is just a completely fair question he's met a soldier the man has a sword Joshua's waging war tomorrow and so he asks this guy if he's a soldier fighting for Israel or a soldier fighting for God's enemies look at verse 14 we now see their interaction and how God's presence is confirmed as going with the people of Israel, and how Joshua's men will be supported by heavenly hosts. Things are about to get a lot more difficult, and as promised, again and again, God shows up and He demonstrates His faithfulness. How does, how does the man answer Joshua's question? No, but I am the commander. Of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. He is saying no. I am not a regular soldier. I am neither of the things you mentioned. But what I am is, is sent by God. What I am is the leader of the army of the Lord. I will be the captain of your salvation. Here at Jericho. I am with you. Take courage. Have heart for the Lord is with you. Now I have come. God is with Joshua and now he knows it afresh this morning. Look there at the text. How does he respond? I think we see that he responds in worship and adoration. Amazingly, I just think it's entirely possible that Joshua here is meeting the Son of God. He is meeting with a pre-incarnate Jesus. And this is why. First off, we know that this is the commander of the army of the Lord. He's meeting with the one that is leading all the heavenly hosts. All of those are at his disposal. Who is it that we see in Revelation 19? Secondly, how does Joshua respond to his announcement and then his reaction to who he is? You see it there in the text. Joshua falls down on his face. Do you remember last week that? God established his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17 where we see promises of deliverance, blessing and the nations as well as the land of Canaan followed by a requirement for circumcision. Well right before all of that happens in Genesis when we read God appeared to Abraham we see that in Genesis 17:3 Abraham falls on his face. That's his response. Friends, this is not a normal greeting. This was not a custom of the day. Yes, there would have been kind of bowing down or respect given to people. But it is before God that we see Abraham and now Joshua lying face down in their response. Joshua 5 goes further to also include, says Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. Joshua worshipped. Joshua, our verse, our chapter here doesn't even stop there. Joshua then refers to this man as the Lord. That he, Joshua, comes before him as a servant. The man, I think Jesus, does not rebuke Joshua. He does not even gently correct him for calling him Lord. He just accepts this worship. This is what the commander of the army of the Lord deserves. Friends, I think this is God. And he is with Joshua and Joshua worships him. When Joshua encounters God, he can't do anything but bow down in worship before him. Let me ask you, how about you? How do you respond to God? As God has revealed himself to you, do you bow down before him? Do you bring your whole life before him? Or perhaps, perhaps you're too busy. Perhaps you've got stuff to get on with. You know, things to do. And we see Joshua, he he was about to go to war that day. He was out there in the field praying and lifting up his day before God. And then God meets him in this place. And Joshua can do nothing else but worship. Joshua doesn't. We're not seeing him rush his worship. he stops, he pauses, he falls face down. What a beautiful image friend in the in the busyness of life, we must bring our praise to God. this should be how we start the day. this should be how we begin whatever you've got planned. There is nothing greater than bringing it all before the throne of god this is why we've spent so much of our time together already even here today praying to god asking for help lifting up worship to him joshua when faced with the walls of jericho he begins with prayer i want us to look again at this phrase in our verses what does my lord say to his servant Joshua in his godliness and maturity Humbles himself and places himself before the captain He describes himself as a servant Friends, those who want to lead Must first learn what it means to be a good follower Let me ask you, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to follow God? Do you trust God? God's word. Do you humbly follow the leaders God has provided? Joshua would have known the promises in Exodus 23 of this exact moment. It says, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgression. For my name is in him. Joshua is obeying God and obeying his word. Trusting those that God has provided. Men here this morning. Do you aspire to be an elder? Either here or at another church in the future. Are you someone worth following? Are you someone that willingly follows godly leadership? The people here trust Joshua, as he understands, he applies, and he trusts the word of God, obeying what God has said. This should be the same for our leaders. Friends, perhaps you describe yourselves as a, as a proud pioneer. Are you someone that would rather be out there doing your own thing, separate from God's people and his church? Maybe even right now you'd rather be doing that. Instead of gathering here with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. To worship together. This is not a simple question. And I know they're not simple answers. But here we see Joshua. The leader of the armies of all the people of God. On the cusp of battle. And ready and willing to humble himself. Before this captain. I think this humility continues in verse 15. As the commander tells Joshua to take off his sandals for the ground is holy. I do think there is to be a reverence in how we approach God. While there's also to be intimacy, it is to be first with respect and honor that we approach God's throne in our worship and our prayer. But what is what's with the sandals? What really what's going on here? I think that this is an outward act of devotion and respect the same as with Moses in Exodus 3, when he also must remove his sandals. We are not, friends, to approach God in a disorderly and casual manner. I do think God cares how we approach him. And in the previous century, this kind of respect outwardly might have looked like perhaps taking off your hat as you enter church. It is an outward act that that shows kind of respect and honor of the one you come before. How we approach the heavenly throne matters. Especially in your own heart. Not just in the outward, but especially in your own heart. We are to be acutely aware as, we're, as we are just singing of the, the holiness of the God we come before. I think that is some of what we see here. I also think that's why none of you have decided to come in your swimming costumes. Or your swimwear this morning. There was something in you that stopped you doing that this morning and we are all grateful for that. In a lesser way, it's the same reason why you might dress maybe a little bit smarter if tomorrow you were invited to the sheikh at his palace to meet with him. You probably wouldn't be casual and careless. Why would we be like that with our holy God? I think we see... But Joshua here was asked also to do something that we are not. We're not asking you to take off your shoes before you come in. But it is there for a reason. It is there for a purpose. And it shows us the care and respect he has. How he humbled himself. How he showed reverence and respect to the Lord. And I think we should consider the same things. Friends, don't be casual about how you approach God. Take it seriously. I think it's an understatement to say that this, this interaction is huge for Joshua. It's probably life-changing. He knew that God would make a way and would give them the victory. But we now see that this is, this is only achieved through God's provision and God's presence. Yet again, it is he that is holy, that is he that will deliver Jericho into Joshua's hands. The leadership has been passed on. We've seen how God spoke to Abraham and he fell on his face. And then at the burning bush, how Moses was also called to remove his sandals. Now it is Joshua. It is he that the Lord has chosen to lead his people into this next chapter. Here, I think we are left in no doubt about that. Through the Exodus, through the the wilderness, through the Jordan, and now into battle, God's presence Means that the outcome is secure. Friends as we trust in God. His word and his ways. We have nothing to fear. Our experiences in this world. They're all different. Mine and yours. Let me ask you. How do you deal with fear? For some it's to act. And this maybe describes you. Maybe you're a bit of an ostrich. You don't want to deal with life, so you just bury your head and you ignore it. For others, it's to to run to something else for satisfaction, perhaps a little feel-good feeling. I think for me, honestly, this is the way I would lean myself. It's so easy to, to seek just a little boost or reward, something in the fridge to eat or drink. But that is not right. For others, it might be to escape, an escape to Netflix or An escape to the gym or maybe an escape online. For some, it's a literal escape from where you are physically. You run away. You turn to something or someone else. Where should you turn? How should we react? Like we began with, we see Joshua turning to God in prayer. And we see God meeting him and providing support and providing the answer The answer was still difficult for Joshua and the Israelites. They still had to go to war as we'll see now. But we see that Joshua depends on God. He takes confidence in God and this leads to his obedience. Friends, our confidence in God should drive our obedience to him. Our confidence in God should drive our obedience to him. We turn to Our second point as the Israelites begin this campaign at Jericho, if you look at chapter 6 verses 1 to 21, our second point is God's process. God's process. Similar to the, the Jordan River that overflowed that time of year as we read, reinforcing how impossible the situation was in their own strength for the Israelites as they stood on the banks, now in verse 1 of chapter 6, we see the Israelites standing before a city that is closed up like a clam. Six one says, shut up inside and outside. It's completely shut up, meaning no one can go in or come out. We reach this point again reminded that only God can do this and he will do it. Straight away in in verse 2, look there, he says, we read that God speaks and God promises. This is his idea, and so he has his requirements. We've seen him already keep his promises of deliverance, and now it'll be no different. What a relief, I think it would have been to, to hear those words, I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given Jericho into your hand. (laughs) <laughs> it would have been so amazing to hear those words. The victory is secure. Friends, this is a turning point. We're entering new territory. They're arriving at Jericho, who are also seeing God's people stepping now into this military victory, this accomplishment in the promised land. I think there would have been some trepidation as we look at these military events. I think there is... Two more important things. Two wider points that are happening. Firstly God is giving his people the land that he promised. Showing that God keeps his promises. But also secondly I think I want you to remember as a holy God. We're going to see that God is judging these people in other places like Jericho. For their sin and their rebellion against him. We're going to see both God's love and. And God's justice handed out in the same moment. It's just really important we see those two things happening. So in verse 1 and 2 we see God is in complete control. And for the men in the camp their their rest has now become readiness. God has brought them to this place and he has prepared what lies ahead. Verses 3 to 5 we get into the, the details of what God wants them to do at Jericho. Especially what it will look and sound like. Look there with me. Verses 3 and 5. All of these details are really important. So we see all the men of war are going to be required to march around the, the wall once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're going to march around seven times. To pause here just for a second, archaeologists, archeolog- sorry, Difficult word to say. Archaeologists have confirmed that this wall was there purely for military reasons. It was not there for anything else. This was strange in the ancient world. This was a huge four-meter-high wall all the way around, double-walled with a gap in between, and then several watchtowers all the way around. Again, nine meters tall. This was a serious military establishment. Jericho claims to be the oldest city in the world. And although it was ordinary in many ways, many other cities, they had kings, they had people, and they had an army. Jericho is strategic. It was well known. It was the gateway to everything on the western side of the Jordan. To, to take Jericho meant to unlock and open this vast area of the country. Anyone heading through there at that ford. Would have passed through or by Jericho. I think we're about to see another barrier. Before the Israelites. That God simply moves out of the way. As we've become I think accustomed to seeing. We see the Red Sea gone. The Jordan River moved out the way. And now the city of Jericho. Friends there is nothing too big or too small. That is beyond the control of God. We've heard this. Many times this year, it's no less true, God cares about the details. He knows, and he cares, and he is in control. Verse 4 tells us more of what God wants them to do. And at this point, we see that this military campaign is really about to become more of a, a ceremony, more of a time of devotion than it is about waging war. I think that all the priests would have been required to get up and walk with the men. and That those that carried the ark across the Jordan. Those same men would now have to carry the ark all the way around Jericho. And then we see seven priests would have had to bring their ram's horns with them. And walk ahead of the ark. Look at verse 9. It says they blow continually. So seven ram's horns blowing continually. And again, we have right in the midst of them, the Ark of the Covenant, this symbol of God's presence with his people being carried by these same priests that a few days before crossed and then stood in the middle of the Jordan. God was with them. We see from the Ark and we know the heavenly hosts are there too, as promised by the commander of the army. To picture the scene, each day we're going to have warriors walking first. Many, probably tens of thousands of Israel's battle-ready men. Then in the midst of them we have seven priests blowing their seven trumpets, their seven rams' horns. Then we have behind them the guys carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And then behind them an even greater crowd. We read about the, re- the rear guard. More soldiers, probably tens of thousands again behind. This was a huge and imposing and strange-looking and strange-sounding group out there that were going to be marching. We know that from verse 5, that on the seventh day, after the seventh walking around the city, there's going to come a particular blast of the trumpets, and then these warrior men having walked silently, as instructed by Joshua for six days, menacing, stomping, marching around the walls, only the sound of the trumpets, they will then all together in that moment lift up the shout and the walls will fall flat and they will enter the city before them. You see, they... Are receiving it. Jericho is given to them already. They've been promised all of this. There is no doubt. But they still need to walk. They still need to go. And take it through all the ways. That God has outlined. All of this was was God's process. This had to happen. His way. The way he has described. But why? I think it's clear. I think it's because. He gets the glory. All of this is for God's glory. Through the, the Israelite people and all the, the peoples of the land. The ripple and whisper would go out from Jericho. Look what he's done. Look what he's done. For centuries, for years later. People would have to walk past Jericho lying in ruins. And they would say, look what he's done so what does does Joshua do in verses 6 to 11 of course the, the answer should be obvious by now he does exactly what the Lord has asked him and he passes the messages on to the people this was the time friends to look alive they had had a few days off but now this is what they were waiting for they were heading out towards Jericho this was day one of the campaign They were battle ready, their pain was disappearing and they were now full and strong from the fruit of the land, this land of milk and honey. Yet there was more to come, there was more to taste, there was more to see and there was more to hear. I think this whole passage as we consider it today would be really tempting, believe me, to to talk about the Jerichos in your life or the walls that God is going to bring crashing down. Well, that situation God is going to bring victory to today. It's my worst American accent. And all kind of things like this. But at Jericho, what I think we see is that God is in complete control. And he wants us to be obedient to him. It is that simple. This is an epic week for the people of Israel. And I think they are probably used to strange and interesting weeks at this point. But they are simply Called to trust in God and do what He has asked them to do. What about for each of you? How often do you resist or push back at what God has laid out before you? Friends, when God says that He desires us to pray or be a people that know and trust His word, how often? Do you come to him in prayer? Perhaps this is the only time this week that you have looked at God's word. Perhaps it's the only time this week that you have opened your Bible. Is it possible that you have been more concerned with TikTok this week than the Lord our God? It's possible You've cared more about what is going on in the life of someone else. Maybe how they're getting it wrong, how they've messed up more than in your own obedience about what God has asked you to do. Friends, we must be more concerned about our own obedience to God than those around us. There are things that this year or this week that God has laid before you that he is calling you to be obedient in. Perhaps it is staying. Perhaps it is going. Perhaps it is a battle or perhaps it is rest. Perhaps it is paying or perhaps it is saving. Trust him and be obedient. Sometimes I think we don't know exactly what this is. But really, honestly, I think often we know exactly what God has commanded us to do. We just disagree. Friends, trust him and be obedient. Verses 12 to 14, back in our text, we see that after returning to camp, they get up and they do it all again. Verse 12 says, they rose early in the morning. They're not hanging about. They're being obedient straight away. Something I try and beg my children to do regularly. Be obedient straight away. This is what obedience is. We all know what it's like to drag our heels, to not want to do something, to, to drop our shoulders. That is not obedience. Here we see they are up early. The dawn of the day as we see in verse 15 and they are out Day in and day out, they are doing what God has commanded. And again, it's the same for us, friends. This is not it. This life is not the end of all that God has in store for you as a Christian, as we will spend eternity with him. But right now, this, right here today, this week, this is what he has for you. And again, we're to get up the next morning in obedience to him for his glory, and we're to go again. No doubt there would have been some in the camp that, that maybe needed their buddy to nudge them, to shake them, to tell them to get up. A few commanding officers, I'm sure, had to go around the camp and remind the men of what they are doing and why. And that is like our life here. We're not meant to go through this life alone. We are meant to do our every day and our every week with those around us, to encourage us, to remind us, to nudge us, to shake us and others about how and why. Friends, your whole life is for God's glory. This is the chief end of man. Your whole life is for God's glory. This is the chief end of Of man, Joshua's instructions I think here had been clear His his leadership was strong and now in verses 15 to 21 The heart of the campaign at Jericho takes place on the seventh day I do think the, the, the ceremony that I mentioned of what's happening Is reinforced by the amount of sevens we see here Seven priests carrying seven horns on the seventh day Walking around seven times This number is so often tied to God, his holiness, his perfection. And it's the same here. It's a way of seeing symbolically. This did happen, but symbolically, his hand is in all of this. The people up until this point, they'd marched strictly and silently. And now they waited for this particular noise from the priests on their horns before they could raise their voice. This whole thing would have been quite a sound. I went to high school uh, in Scotland. We had a pipe band. Before rugby matches or important events, we would have about 30 bagpipes playing. This is also how the British army was led out to war for many, many years when armies still marched. I was driving the interns around Dubai this week and introducing them to the beauty but also the brutality of what the bagpipes actually sound like. Just in my car, it was quite a sight. I think this is just a tiny glimpse of what the Israelites heard that day. These ram's horns were not really musical instruments. They made a noise. It was loud and it was something that would hit you right In your gut, you could feel it in your body, similar to the bagpipes. It truly would have been an awful sound. This large group, realistically at this point, several hundred thousand people, was marching a, a, probably about a two-kilometer loop. This is the same as between the two roundabouts at Mina. If you were to walk from one roundabout across the front of Mina and back again, really from, let's say, Choithrams all the way to the Delauter's house and back, that is about two kilometers. So just imagine that long street in Mina, next to where the, the football pitch is, where the hotels by Meuse, all the way along there, Full of several hundred thousand people. Marching. These seven men in the middle continually playing their ram's horns. What a strange sight. Terrifying. And then on the seventh day and the seventh lap as God had promised the walls of this ancient city would be devoted to the Lord for destruction. As verse 17 says, meaning this was for the glory of God. It was an act of devotion, an act of worship and obedience. Not only is God merciful to the Israelites, but Joshua also reminds them that God's justice will be poured out on those that worship other gods. He will judge the people of Jericho and he will save all who trust in him. That is Rahab and her family. Verses 18 to 19 also bring a warning about trusting in gold or silver more than God. Don't fill your pockets with the stuff you see at Jericho. They are for God. They're for his glory. These items are part of the destruction, part of the devotion to God. We'll come back to the importance of that in chapter 7. So this was all, friends, for God's glory. We see his loving mercy. Mercy. But also his holy justice poured out on Jericho. Verses 20 to 21 then show us how the loud trumpet sound was heard. And the people shouted in faith as Hebrews 11 reads. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. After all of this build up all the preparation and seeing how God was with them. And what he would do. We are then just given just two short verses on this battle. There is no need for much detail. It is done. The people lift up this joyful noise to the Lord. A cry of war and also a shout of praise to God. And the walls come tumbling down. The men rush in over the smashed rock. And they kill and destroy everything and everyone that is there. That was what God had planned. And this is what he did. It's not a military victory. Yes, there was an army there, but there was really nothing militaristic about it. It was our holy God. God did it all. It is he that delivers and it's he that destroys. In our third and final point, we look to verses 22 to 27. Our third point is God's preservation. God's preservation this we see is how our holy God delivers his people but also destroys those that turn against him there was only one family that here that believed in him and it's they that are saved it is through faith that the walls came tumbling down and through their faith that Rahab and her family were saved she has heard of what the Lord has done and who he was and she lifted up her praise to him and trusted him. It was very simple. Due to her faith, the promise of preservation that we see in chapter 2 is secured and we see it fulfilled. Here as beautifully the the two spies she saved now go back in to extend their hand to her and her family before the whole city and everything in it is judged by God and destroyed. Friends, it's the same for us. We can pause for a second and think, the people of Jericho really deserve to die? Were they given enough opportunity to know who Yahweh really was? Is this right? Is it? have to consider who we are dealing with here we have to understand that we are talking about those that sin and turn against in rebellion the God of the universe this is not a local king or some small sheikh somewhere but the God who flung the stars into space the the one who commands the winds and the waves this is God this is God who is justice he is love he is mercy he cares about his word and he cares about his glory these people knew and heard of his name and they did not trust him Rahab and her family did God requires all of our praise and adoration our full devotion And it cannot be shared with other things or other gods or spread around. I hope you know that this life is not it, friends. That we all will surely die. And once you do, it's too late to turn back. There is no second chance. What applied to Jericho applies to everyone in this world today. To me and to all of you. Due to our sin, all the wrong thoughts and deeds... We have turned away. We too have rebelled against God who created us. The same God that we read about this morning. He is perfect and holy. And he has made it clear to us that he requires our worship. We cannot share that with anything else. Like the Israelites that day, the only way that this victory, this salvation can be achieved is with God's help. Friends, there is good news. He has made a way. Many in this room have turned from their old life like Rahab and have put their faith in God and the promise that she received, the preservation of her life and her being brought into the people of God. And also, this is available to you this morning if you don't know God. Rahab was a prostitute, someone deep in sin and someone that the the Lord used mightily joining her to the people of God. And then from her offspring, her lineage, came the hope of the nations, Jesus Christ. Friends, no one is too far from God. Friends, it's not through deliverance in battle for us today, but it is through Jesus' death on the cross that our lives are counted as righteous at the sure and final judgment. Hebrews refers to Jesus as the foundation of our faith, and other translations refer to Christ as the captain of our salvation. At the beginning of today's sermon, we looked at how God was with Joshua, how his captain was with them and would provide the victory, and it's the same for us. Friends, for me and for you, God has provided a way in sending his son, the captain, Of our salvation. We too were outside the camp. As Rahab was. And we have been brought in. We too have an everlasting victory. In the people of God. Without Christ we will receive God's judgment. We'll receive this on ourselves. In our own merit. Christ has taken this all. For those who trust in him. We know that to reject him means certain death. It means a separation from him forever. I plead with you, cry out to God this morning. Receive this mercy and grace that he offers many sinners. In the final verses 26 and 27, we see that Jericho is done and as promised, it is delivered into the hands of Joshua. Joshua lays a curse on the city. And with God on his side, his fame went throughout the land. For those that turn away from God and reject him, there comes a point when their judgment is, is final. There comes a point when their judgment is final. And for Jericho, we see that this was the case. Exodus twenty-two twenty 20 is clear. Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. God has made his desires known and his ways obvious and the outcomes clear. Turn away from me, worship another, and for my glory you will be judged. God's word is serious, friends, and this oath that Joshua lays down as God's servant and God's chosen leader is a weighty one. Some 530 years later, we read, a man called Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. Hiel lost his firstborn son, Abraham, and his youngest son as he finished. All of this as Joshua had said in our verses. Joshua had been promised the presence of God and to be established as God's chosen man. Chapter after chapter we see that he is faithful and obedient, leading God's people in God's word and for God's glory. All of this, friends, points forward to a greater and second Joshua. One who would fulfill and complete all that Joshua could not. As we study Joshua, we see clearly that he is a foreshadowing of the one who in his perfection and faithfulness, the son of God and the word of God has made a way for us to be fully and finally reconciled to God it is the fame of Jesus Christ that we desire today see in all of this land I hope that through this text today we see that he is worthy of our devotion he is worthy of our confidence he is worthy of our obedience no matter where he calls you to go and no matter what lies before you in life Ephesians 2 reads, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Friends, like the Israelites, that day was all through the grace and mighty work of God. Friends, it is the same for you. You owe it all to Jesus for he has paid it all.